Well, I want to say thank you this morning uh, as we're gathering for worship. Uh, for those of you who were here last week for our Impact Sunday, uh, I need to share just a little bit of information. Our, our giving goal for 2022-2023 was uh, approved by a 98% ratification vote. All the elders who were presented were overwhelmingly ratified, and the resolution on our Grace Haven ministry was also approved by a 95% vote. So as your pastor, I just want to say thank you uh, for the way that you have uh, been supportive of the direction our leadership team is sensing God leading us. I also want to let you know, some of you had kind of reached down and looked around, those of you on campus, uh, for your communion uh, uh, cups and wafers today and, and realize they're not there. And this is the first Sunday of the month. And normally we do take communion together as the people of God on the first Sunday of the month. But with Easter being in April, we really want to do that on Monday, Thursday. If you've never been a part of one of our Monday, Thursday services, it's a, it's a very special time here at Eastside. It's a, an intergenerational service. So we encourage you to come as families. Um, mom, dad, bring the kids. Uh, grandparents, bring, bring kids and grandkids. And we're going to have the service this year here in uh, the worship center, and uh, it will also be streamed live. So for those of you online, uh, we will be streaming that at 7 p.m. on Thursday, uh, April the 14th. And so we want to encourage you, if you want to join us on campus or join us online, it's a brief service, about an hour, a little less, uh, but it's a, a very special time patterned after the night that Jesus spent with his disciples that's described for us in John chapter 13 and 14. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to join us that night and uh, celebrate the Lord's table together with us then. Today we're going to wrap up our deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount. As I told you last week, um, the for you emphasis is something we're going to be looking at this entire year because we believe that as our culture emerges from the pandemic uh, and a lot of the other things that have been happening in the world, there's a tremendous need for people to know that God is for them and also for them to know that the people of God are for them. Because unfortunately, the people of God have gotten lumped into other religious systems, and, and so this sense of the followers of Jesus Christ being an institution or a political party or those kind of things is taken over our world. And, and for those of us who, who follow Jesus, for those of us who know that Jesus really is the, the personal Savior that we were singing about a few moments ago, one who, who has been tempted in every way as we've been tempted, who's felt all the emotions that we've felt, and yet he didn't sin, and he stays present with us, that, that really smacks at us to, to be to thought of as a, as a political party. Um, and yet, culturally right now, that's something that's, that uh, unfortunately has taken place. And so for us, as a leadership team, we want to encourage uh, uh, all of us as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, to be on mission this year to let people know that God is for you. He's not against you. And so we want to encourage you to join with us in that. But, but today, we're coming in our text to the, to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is this amazing teaching that we discovered is different than the way the culture has described it for us. 
See, the culture has described it for us as a set of, of uh, uh, like an entrance exam into the kingdom or a set of qualifications. You have to do these things. Or, or maybe it's like, as one author I, I read said, they're like the Marine Corps of the, of the church. You know, these, are the, these are the best and, and they do these things. And the rest of us are just kind of left out going, oh, wait a minute, I don't quite measure up. But that's not what Jesus intended. When he began speaking to the thousands of people who were on the, on the mountainside that day, who had come because Jesus had come through their life and their villages and then their synagogues and, and had been sharing with them this, this amazing reality that the God of the universe actually loved them. The, 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 he actually knew them. And as Jesus shared who, who God really was, and what God's heart really was. And it, and it wasn't about the, just following the rules and regulations. It, it was about this intimacy. It was about this life that would start now and last for eternity. He begins to share with them what I refer to as a grand invitation. And in that grand invitation, he's saying, hey, listen, would you follow me? I want to encourage you to come with me on this journey. And as he gets ready to close in Matthew chapter 7, he he begins to, to turn to the concluding parts of the sermon. Now, for those of you who've ever been public speakers or teachers, there's an old thing that simply says this. No matter what happens in the middle, and no matter how poorly you start, if you leave them with something really to, to embrace, something to really challenge their life, then, then that's what people remember. And so I think Jesus kind of knew that, and Jesus reaches this climax in all that he's been teaching, and he shares this very powerful, powerful word that some of you think you know. Here's the way it's recorded in the King James Version of the Bible. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It says this in the King James. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or... Maybe you've read a different translation. The, the, the English Standard Version, which I use, says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Maybe you've heard that referred to as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in fact, if you've done some research, you'll know that there are other religious systems. There are religious systems in the world that teach this rule. If you really want to have a successful life, if you really want to do what you were created to do, then here's the deal. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do to others what you wish they would do for you. Treat people with respect. Treat people well. And so Jesus, Jesus shares this, and then he begins to illustrate it. And in your, in your Bibles, in the footnotes, it, it's going to include most of the paragraph settings in most of your Bibles are going to include these things together. It's going to include that statement that we call the golden rule. And then, and then it's going to say this, a very interesting statement. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. What was Jesus trying to do? He's been doing all of this teaching, the Beatitudes, teachings on prayer, teachings on life. 
And now he gets to the point, he says, now listen, if you want to sum all of this up, listen, I really want you to, I really want you to understand this. You have to treat others the way you wish they would treat you. And yet you have to know that, that there's a choice involved. There's a, there's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. And when you see the wide gate, you think, hey, I'm gonna go into that. And that looks like the way to go. I mean, lots of people are going that way. I mean, the majority rules. It looks like it's the right thing to do. And so I'm gonna go that way. But you need to know, if you choose that gate, you're gonna end up in destruction. I've come to share with you that there's another gate, Jesus says. Now, this gate is narrow. And it's kind of hard. When you, when, you, when you step into this gate, when you, when you pull the latch on this gate, it may not be easy. At, at first, it, it, it's gonna feel tough. But the reality is, when you, when you do that, when you choose the, the narrow one, it doesn't lead to the destruction. In fact, it leads, it leads to life. It leads to a, a better way of life. So, if you really wanna find who you were made to be, if you really wanna be centered in yourself, if you really wanna be centered in the, in the way God made you to be, then, then treat others as you wish they would treat you and choose this narrow gate. Now, this morning as I was driving to the church, actually late last night, I was still wrestling with how to help us see the folly of the wide gates. And I remembered something. But it was too late to, to, to get the illustration for you until this morning because it was dark. You see, there is a perfect illustration of this concept of gates and choosing the right gate. And it's within two blocks of this building. So I waited this morning until daylight took my handy-dandy iPhone and drove over to this location. And I took two pictures. And, and I'm gonna show you these pictures. Now, I want you to understand they're, they're, they're not as professional as some of you who are photographers would make it. They're taken by me in the early morning light today. But I want you to see these, all right? Some of you may have driven past this on your way in here and not even noticed it, okay? Here, here it is, are you ready? Look at this. This is a gate. It is a gate to a sidewalk. There's a potted plant on the other side of the gate. And what does the sign say? Please keep gate closed. But look closely at that picture. Maybe you can see it, but I thought maybe you couldn't quite see it, so I took another picture. It's a little wider scope. Look, look, at, look at that now. Now keep looking. Yeah. It is a gate to nowhere. There's no fence. There's no boundary. 
the owner of the house has just created a, something to look at. Now, I'm sure that in a few months when whatever's planted in that, in that big pot begins to grow, it's, it's gonna be even prettier and there'll be vines that'll come up over it and, and it's a pretty gate, but it's a gate that leads nowhere. There's no destination. What Jesus is trying to say to the people gathered on the mountainside, what Jesus is trying to say to you and me 2,000 years later is listen, friends, there are some gates that look good but they lead to destruction. And you have to, you have to understand, I'm, I'm inviting you into a, a grand relationship, a relationship that, that begins with a narrow gate but leads to a grand life. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just huge. Because these people had gathered around and, 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 and they were seeking after something different. And, and what Jesus is saying to them is, is, look, there are lots and lots of options for rules and regulations. As I told you earlier, that golden rule that we call it, that concept of do unto others as you have them do unto you, you can find that repeated in numerous religious systems. But Jesus isn't repeating it for a religious system. Jesus is including it in a relational connection, in a sense of which I'm inviting you, Jesus says, to come be a part of the people of God. Even though you live in a world that is dark, in a world that is rebellious, in a world that is broken, I'm inviting you to come and to, and to live in a relationship with me. See, this grand invitation invites us into a grand relationship and it leads us into a life that is a grand life. But it starts with a narrow gate. Look at it again from Matthew chapter seven, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You see, there's, a, there's this sense of what Jesus is saying to the people on the mountain and, the, and to us that when we're invited into his presence, when we're invited into this grand relationship with him and he invites us into this place where there's gonna be a grand life for us, a life that lasts forever, a life that is eternal, there's only one way to get into that life. It is, it is the way of accepting his invitation. 42 years ago this summer, I stood at the front of a church in St. Louis, Missouri. A church I had heard about, had read about. The pastor of that church was actually preaching in Louisiana the night that I accepted my call into ministry as a high school student. But I'd only been there a few times, but no time more important than that day. Because on that day, I was standing at the front of that church with a couple of my really good friends and both of my brothers and my father, who was the officiating minister. There were these women that I had met. They were friends of my fiance. Uh, one or two of them I knew well because we'd gone to college here together, but most of them I, I just met them, you know, at like a shower or reception or something. I, I'm not from St. Louis. My wife is from St. Louis. And on that day, when it was 112 degrees outside in the middle of July in Missouri's wonderfully blissful climate, 
in a church with no air conditioning. I'm standing at the front and I'm waiting for the doors to open in the back. They weren't very big doors. In fact, they were the only doors that led to the center aisle. You came into that church in one aisle and I'm looking down that aisle and there are all these people sitting there. Some of them I knew, some of them were related to me, most of them I had never seen before and quite honestly, some of them I've never seen since. And when a certain song began to play and the doors opened in the back, this beautiful woman who had said she would marry me came walking down the aisle accompanied by her father. It was our wedding day. Now I have to tell you, on that day, all the other options for romance in my life stopped. From that day forward, anytime I walk into a room where there are people present, I, I, I'm sorry, ladies, I'm sure you're all beautiful, but none of you are as beautiful as the woman I'm married to, to me. When, whenever she's in the room, all the rest of you can go home because she's in the room and she has captured my heart and I walked, through, I walked through the narrow gate and she walked through the narrow aisle of that church and we stood together in front of our family and our friends and God and we said, you know what? This is the life we've chosen. And now 42 years later, I have to tell you, she knows more about me than anybody else in the world. My parents have died. My brothers live in other states. My children think they know me, but they don't know me. My, my nieces and nephews, my cousins, they, they know parts of me, but, but there's only one person who has known all of me for 42 years. And that's Becky. Because when we stood there, it was a grand invitation into a grand relationship and it has led to a grand life. And I wouldn't trade any of it for anything. I've been blessed beyond measure with a, with a relationship that I can trust. And when Jesus is looking out at the thousands of people on the mountainside, and he's saying, hey, look, I want you to know that if you want to summarize everything that I've been trying to teach you, it's not a rule, it's not a regulation, it's a relationship that creates something in you, and the way into this is narrow. Few people choose it. Few people choose it. But many people choose the other option. So I'm here, Jesus says, to ask you to, to make a choice. Remember, this is the end of the sermon. This is the conclusion. This is the part he wants us to remember more than anything else. And so he says, look, you've got to choose which gate. But also, I need you to know that once you choose to accept my invitation into this grand relationship, 
When, when, when you choose to enter in this narrow gate and, and you, you, you discover this grand life that I've invited you to, that grand life isn't just automatic. No, that, that grand life grows within you. And it grows from the, from the inside out with character, get this, not image. What, what, what he's saying is, look, when you enter into this grand life, when you accept this grand invitation, when you, when you begin to have this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then there's going to be growth. Now, the temptation is going to be for you to choose to let other people see the best of you and hide the worst of you. And Jesus begins to, to talk about three more choices that need to be made in the grand life. Once we accept the grand invitation, once we enter into the grand relationship through the narrow gate, then, then he begins to talk about how, how things grow. And, and these next three things may be some of the most important things we're ever gonna hear. Jesus thought they were important enough to conclude the Sermon on the Mount with them. So here's, here's the first one. Look, look at the scripture. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Get that. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. In this grand life, there's this sense in which character begins to grow from our relationship with Jesus Christ, from what he's invited us into. It grows from inside of us. It's not just something that we, that we, uh, that we, we polish up for other people. Uh, let, let me explain it to you this way, using the same analogy of trees. Uh, when I moved to Florida, I knew nothing about citrus trees. I knew nothing about citrus fruit. But, but I learned quite quickly because of a friend of mine and the joke he would play on our visiting friends from up north. Because you know, there are, if you live in Florida, there are people who come every winter and every winter there are new people who show up. And my friend was a golfer, he loved to golf. He was in our church, and there was a, a lady in our church who lived next to the golf course. And in the back of her property was a huge, beautiful, beautiful orange tree, full of orange fruit. And what my, what my friend would do, however, is he knew something about that tree. He knew that several years earlier, there'd been a frost, a heavy frost, and it had hit that tree, and it had taken its fruit, and it had, it had attacked that tree, and, and that tree was, and even though that tree grew back with beautiful leaves and beautiful looking oranges, the oranges on that tree were bitter and bad. And that tree was located on the ninth hole of the golf course where he loved to play. And he loved to take our snowbird friends to play golf. And so what he would do is what, when he would get them on the golf course and they would get on the ninth green, he would look and say, you know, it's a long way back to the clubhouse. Maybe we need a snack. 
hey, that orange tree over there, I know the lady who owns that house. Why don't you go get you some oranges off of that tree? And, and so people would do it, right? They would go over, are you sure it's okay? Yeah, I'm not gonna get in trouble. No, it's fine. And so he would reach up, they'd reach up and they'd get an orange off the tree. Kind of like some of you pick apples off of your trees around here, right? Except for this. The tree was bitter. But my friend wouldn't tell them. He would just say, get an orange. And they would get an orange. And they would peel it. And they would eat it. And their faces would screw all up at the bitterness of a bad orange. And my friend would just laugh and laugh. And some of you think, what kind of friend was he? One I never played golf with. <laughs> but can I also tell you, some of you could use that same illustration with some of the fruit trees you've got. And what Jesus is saying to the crowd and what Jesus is saying to us is, look, when you accept this grand invitation into this grand relationship that's gonna give you this grand life, that grand life is going gonna, is gonna to help you begin to grow because Jesus sent his Holy Spirit. He, he, he put his presence with us. And so the reality is that, that you've got to enter into this relationship and you've got to walk through that gate. And along the way, the life gets sweeter because, because as you are following Jesus, he begins to grow character and integrity and honesty and love, and mercy inside of you. See, those things don't come from outside. You don't put on those things. They grow from within. I mean, Jesus earlier in this same sermon had said, now listen, when you're, um, when you're praying, I don't want you to stand on the street corners and pray for everybody to know what a wonderful prayer you are. I want you to go into your closet. And I want you to pray there to the God who knows you. Because prayer is not a ritual for your reputation. Prayer is a relationship, a communication with the one who knows you better than anybody else. When you give your money, Jesus says, I don't want you to walk up in front of everybody and parade it around and drop it in. No, I, I want you to give with love and grace and integrity. Because you see, when we step through that gate, when we begin to discern between the, the false and the true, when we begin to let the Spirit of God grow in us what we refer to in Scripture as the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, against these things, there's, Paul tells us, there's nothing bad about those things. But they grow from within. They don't, they don't come at you from outside. And so in this grand life, what Jesus is saying is, look, you get to live in a consistent connection with Jesus. And that consistent connection with Jesus creates in you a, a new way of viewing the world. When I stood at the front of that church in St. Louis, Missouri, if I had just stood up there and made those vows that the preacher said, and then looked at Becky when it was over and said, well, that's good. We're married. Bye. See ya. I'm not sure I'd be standing here 42 years later. Her dad was there. So was her brother, my brother-in-law, who has four gun safes in his house. 
You think I'm exaggerating, but therefore. And what I know is, he would have looked at me if I'd done that to his sister and said, these are for you. <laughs> and, and what I know is that, that in this connection with Jesus, what happens is that it has to be a consistent thing. It's not an intermittent thing. And that's the hardest thing for a lot of us is to understand that, that when we step through that gate and we choose that truth, then, then what we have to do is, is we have to live in a constant, consistent connection to God. And, and so Jesus tells us that when he, when he says this. In, in the next few verses of Matthew chapter seven, he, he puts it like this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, get this, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, get this, Jesus says, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, not everybody who says, oh, I love Jesus, really loves Jesus. They love the idea that Jesus can forgive them of their sins, but they don't love the idea that, that when you accept that forgiveness, now you live in a connection with Jesus for the rest of your life. And, and what he's saying is, listen, if you take this narrow gate that leads to this grand life, then I'm gonna to begin to grow inside of you the, the integrity, the character that, that's reflected in the fruit of the Spirit so that, so that there's no disease fruit coming out of your life. And when I do that to you, when I, when I begin to grow that in you, then, then you're gonna understand that it's not enough just to say, Lord, Lord, it's not, it's not enough just to buy the bumper sticker. It's not enough just to put the Jesus symbol on your car. In fact, listen, if you're gonna honk at people a whole lot, please take the Jesus sticker off your car. Because just doing the mighty works and just saying the spiritual words and just praying the prayers everybody looks at, and no, 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 that, that's, that's not it, Jesus says. It's about this connection. Because see, in the grand life, we discover a foundation. A foundation that is solid, like a rock, even in the midst of adversity. In the midst of tough, tough times. It's the illustration we began this. So we started this series, this deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount in these next few verses, the, the last part. And now we're back to it again. It's the part where, where Jesus talks about who, who builds their house and how they build it. You know the story, some of you. Look at it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, what words? This whole Sermon on the Mount that says, you know what? I'm issuing you a grand invitation into a grand relationship that's gonna lead you to a grand life. If you hear those words and you do them, if you, if you live in this relationship, then, then you're gonna be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish person who built their house on the sand. The same rains fell. The same floods came. The same winds blew against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What Jesus is saying to us is, look, if you will accept this invitation, if you will live in this relationship, if you will choose this gate, if you will choose this fruitfulness, if you will let me grow this character in you by staying consistently connected to me, then I'm gonna give you a life that even in the midst of hell itself, that life will still sustain you. A few weeks ago, when the war in the Ukraine broke out, I shared with you on a Sunday morning like this one about the fact that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia, particularly in Chalabinsk, where we've, where we've sent work camps. Some of you have been to Chalabinsk, Russia. And in the Ukraine, where the Church of God has an active presence, an active congregations, and that many of those people, they know each other. They've actually, they've actually worked alongside each other over the years. So that now, as we're in the midst of a war between the nation of Russia and the nation of Ukraine, we need to understand that the kingdom of God is bigger than both of those countries and bigger than ours. And I said to you, if you wanna, if you wanna help, then, then we'll find a way to help. And you guys have been so amazing. Since the war in Ukraine broke out, all I did was say to you, hey, if you wanna, if you wanna give the help, we'll, we will connect with our congregations. We will connect with, with Church of God people. Now, for some of you who are not Church of God background, let me explain. Eastside is a part of a movement of over 2,000 churches in the United States and Canada and over 8,000 churches around the world. And, and that movement called the Church of God is a movement of people who believe that Jesus Christ is the only narrow gate you can enter in for this grand life. But when you enter in, when you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you immediately become a part of what we refer to as the family of God. So it doesn't matter what your church doctrine, background, all those things are. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't keep you out of the kingdom as long as you follow Jesus Christ. And so we're a part of that movement. And you guys began to give. In fact, this, this Thursday, we will cut a check for $10,000 that you've given in the last month to be able to help people. And, and what I said to you that day and what I'm committed to is that every penny you give to that, we will get to the people. And so as I, as I realized how much money you were beginning to give, I, I made a phone call this week to a friend of mine who happens to be a, an adjunct faculty member at the Fritzlar Bible College, which is a Church of God school in Germany. I knew that the German Church of God had connections with the Ukrainian Church of God. And I'd heard from some folks that, that, that the, the, the resources of the German church were being used to help those in the Ukraine. So I called my friend, I said, tell me exactly what it is, because I've promised the folks at Eastside that, that whatever we give is gonna go directly to those people. And my friend said, well, Carrie, here's what's going on. He said, it's the local church in the U.S. helping the local church in Germany help the local church in the Ukraine. And here's the way it's working. 
we're sending money to the Church of God in Germany where food and supplies are much cheaper, much less expensive than they are in Ukraine right now. You can actually get them in Germany. And the people in Germany, the, the local churches, are standing up on Sunday morning and they're saying this. If you've got a car and you're willing to use it, we've heard from our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine that this is what they need. We have heard from our brothers and sisters in the US. Here, here are the supplies. They've sent money to buy this. We're not asking you to, to buy anything. What we're asking is this. If you've got a car and you're willing can we pack your car full of supplies and then let you drive from Germany through Poland into the Ukraine? You, you, you hear about some of our wonderful first responders here who are the people who run toward the fire rather than away from it. <laughs> well, that's what the Church of God people in the Ukraine are doing or what the Church of God people in Germany are doing. Because you see the Church of God congregations in the Ukraine they're, they're, they're opening their doors of their buildings and they're saying to people, we don't care where you're from. We don't care what's happened to you. If you need a place to stay, if you need a place of shelter, then you come here and you stay in this place. You are welcome here. And we'll share our food with you and we'll share our supplies with you. And, and so these local churches in Germany, people like you and me from local congregations who happen to own cars, are coming forward and saying, yeah, I'll do that. And, and, and so they're packing the cars and they're driving. And they're driving through Poland into the Ukraine to the churches, delivering the supplies. But now they've got an empty car. What do you do with an empty car in a war zone? You look at somebody and say, would you like to leave? And so the people who are wanting to leave the war zone are filling up the cars that were filled with supplies and the German brothers and sisters are driving them back to the border between the Ukraine and Poland and then delivering them to the authorities there who can help them leave the country if they so want to leave. It's all legal. Nobody's hiding from the authorities. We're not doing that. But what's then happening is they drive the rest of the way back, back across Poland to Germany. And if there are refugees who don't have a place in Poland, they're bringing them to Germany. And the Bible college, well, the Bible college has turned into a dormitory where at this point, 22 people, four adults and 18 children are living. And as I, as I talked on the phone this week with my friend, he was like, Carrie, it's one of the most amazing, amazing things I've ever seen. It's the local church being the local church in a global fashion. Because all of us are connected in this process. And as I'm getting ready to, to share this passage with you this morning about people who find a firm foundation because they listen to the words that Jesus said, all I can think about are our brothers and sisters in Christ in Eastern Europe who are finding out what it means to be the people of God in the midst of a storm that is killing people. I know we've done relief trips as a church after Hurricane Katrina on the Gulf Coast years ago. I know that many of you have been on work camps in different places around the world. 
And I know that as a people of God, we're committed to doing that. But what I want us to hear is that if we're going to be centered in Jesus Christ, if the world is going to know that God is for them and not against them, then it's going to begin with some of us who are willing to say, I'm listening to you, Jesus. And I'm stepping through the gate. And I'm letting you grow the character inside of me and produce the fruitfulness in my life. And what I just wanted to say to you this morning is, thank you. Thank you for being people who are willing to say to God, God, breathe in me. And also to say, if you happen to be with us today, on campus or online or later on this week on demand, and you're standing at the two gates, <laughs> Choose the right one. Choose the one that leads to life and not destruction. Because that's what Jesus is inviting you to. A grand invitation to a grand relationship that leads to a grand life that you will never, ever regret.